Into our hearts. Into our hearts. Come into our hearts, Lord Jesus. Come in today. Come in to stay. Come into our hearts, Lord Jesus. With these words, we worship the living God, and we reaffirm our faith in the Lordship of Christ. My name is Al Brady, and I want to welcome you to this ministry. As always, my prayer is that you will be blessed both by the Word and the music. Would you hear now, please, the reading of God's Word? It comes from Matthew's Gospel, chapter 6, beginning at verse 7. When you are praying, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then in this way, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not bring us to the time of trial, but rescue us from the evil one. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Would you join me for a moment of prayer? O oh God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, always acceptable in thy sight. O oh Lord, which art our rock and our redeemer. Amen. A poll was conducted among some lay people concerning what they thought about sermons. What do you think they found out? The biggest complaint lay people have about sermons is that their ministers use too big of words and too much jargon to explain things. Words like justification, sanctification, judgment. I'll add another word to that list today, the word kingdom. The word kingdom does not mean as much to us in America as, say, it does the British. You see, we've never lived under the rule of a monarchy. We've never lived under a king or a queen's rule. And as a matter of fact, we don't see the monuments of kings and queens all around us. But that is perfectly all right. Because as far as Jesus is concerned, the kingdom of God is not some territory, nor is a geographical area. The kingdom of God is the reign or rulership of God. You know, there's a strange thing about the Gospels. The Gospels do not define the kingdom of God. They do not define the kingdom. The kingdom is described in hints and glimpses, in parables, analogies, commands given and received, but it's never defined in so many words. If we are really going to understand the kingdom, we need to have some kind of definition. And perhaps we're helped by William Barclay in his commentary on Matthew. He explains that one of the most common characteristics of Hebrew style is in what he calls parallelism. The Hebrew said the same thing twice. He said it first time, and then he would go back and repeat it or clarify it or amplify it in the second phrase. Now, let me give you some of these parallelisms in the Old Testament. We're talking about the Psalms. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in times of trouble. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. There you see, you see, first of all, the statement is made, and in the second phrase, it is clarified as regards its meaning and amplification. Now, if we apply this same principle of parallelism to these two petitions, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, we'll arrive at a working definition. You see, the second clarifies the first. Thus, according to William Barclay, 
The kingdom of God is a society upon earth where God's will is as perfectly done as it is in heaven. Personally, I prefer this. The kingdom of God is whenever and wherever the will of God becomes a priority. Jesus said, when you pray, say, your kingdom come. First of all, praying your kingdom come means to affirm what Jesus meant when he used the word kingdom. Now, there is nothing that there is more disagreement about in Christian theology than the kingdom of God and what it means among scholars. But at the same time, these scholars will all affirm that the kingdom of God was the theme of Jesus' central teaching. I want to lift up four of Jesus' affirmations concerning the kingdom of God. First, the kingdom is a gift. It's a gift. As Luke observed, do not be afraid, little flock, for it's your father's pleasure to give you the kingdom. The idea of the kingdom as a gift comes through loud and clear when we look at the parable of the farmers out in the vineyard. You remember, these people worked many different hours, but they were paid the same wage. Though they worked many different hours, they were paid the same wage. When I first read that parable, I thought it was grossly unfair to pay the same thing to everybody. But then I realized that I was starting at the wrong end. I was starting with our earning or our entitlements. And while this particular parable started with grace, it started with the vineyard owner's generosity. It's the same way with the kingdom of God. We don't earn the kingdom. The kingdom is a gift. It's something given to us. There were two people in a church. They were out visiting for the church. They visited a family that showed no interest whatsoever. And while they were there, one of the visitors said to the man of the house, he said, use your imagination. If Jesus was standing right here, right now, what would he want you to give him? The man, wiser than the questioner, said, I don't think he would want me to give him anything. I think he would want to give me something. That is absolutely correct. And so when we join the church, what happens? Symbolically or otherwise, we throw people into the water. We baptize them, we bathe them, we cleanse them, cleanse them, and then we say, you are born of the kingdom. You are born the second time. You see, the Christian, the Christian is adopted into a new family, God's family. And therefore, the kingdom is a gift. The kingdom is a gift. And then secondly, the kingdom includes making a proper response. Jesus says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. What Jesus is seeking here is total commitment. Now, total commitment does not have anything to do with a spiritually elitism kind of person who has it all together. It has more to do with progress, growing step by step, realizing a little progress at a time. The late Sam Shoemaker, a dynamic Episcopal priest, put it this way. He said, total commitment is giving as much as we can to as much of Christ as we can understand day by day. I remember a few years ago, I gave a children's sermon in which I took two boxes into the church. One box had a flag, the symbol of our nation. It had my car keys, my house keys. It had pictures of fun things to do and of all kind of entertainment. The other box simply had a picture of Jesus. I think the question was, which box would come first if the person is going to be a disciple? As we grow in our understanding of Jesus step by step, bringing as much as we can to as much of him as we can understand, we'll be in sync with the kingdom. And then thirdly, the kingdom of God is here now. The Pharisees asked Jesus, when will the kingdom come? Jesus said, it is already among you. 
the kingdom of love, the kingdom of peace, the kingdom of joy, the kingdom, the kingdom of understanding is already here. But we've missed it because we have been unrighteous. Consequently, we've missed the meaning and the hope. So Jesus comes to give us a new accessibility to the kingdom. A new accessibility to the kingdom. Jesus incarnates the kingdom. Jesus not only proclaimed the kingdom, he is the kingdom. When Karl Barth was asked through the years, he says at the end of his life, he said, did your understanding of Christ grow? He said, yes, he was very honest. He said, at first I thought Christ was the prophet of the kingdom. And then I found out rather Christ is the kingdom. I remember reading a story of a young boy who was brought up at the time of the Tsar in Russia. The Tsar's army was trying to recruit him, but he refused to go in because of a matter of conscience. So he was taken to court. And the attorney who was prosecuting said to him that he needed to be in the army, that this was just hogwash. But this young man defended himself. And he said, no, military service is not in line with commemorating God. At that point, the judge intervened and he said, all this is true, but it has not happened. The kingdom of heaven has not happened. The young man looked at him and said, your honor, it may not have happened for you, but it has happened for me. The kingdom is already here. And then the kingdom is still to come. When we pray your kingdom come, we are praying for something that has not already happened. Something that is to come later on. Whether we are praying that God's whole purposes will permeate our whole being, our personal, social, and political life. You know as well as I do that the kingdom has not come yet, not by a long shot. We know that this world is filled with greed and misunderstanding and violence and all kinds of sin. We know that two-thirds of the human race is still insufficient in terms of food or clothing and shelter. We know that this world stands on the brink of destruction all the time. We know that moralism in this country has disappeared, whatever happened to values anyway. We know all this and we know that many of our human relationships are just above the cut line. We understand that. So when we pray thy kingdom come, we are asking God's kingdom to come and permeate all of life, every aspect of life. Some of you are familiar with Fulton Ausler. You remember he wrote a book called The Greatest Person. In that book, he described how God was, was a wonderful counselor, a mighty God in every way. But that book came out, first of all, in installments. It came out in portions. And so one lady responded when she received each portion and installment, she said this in a letter back to Ausler. She said this, I'm reading your story about Jesus. I'm reading it with great pleasure. I can hardly wait to see how it's going to turn out. That's the way we all are in terms of the kingdom. We can hardly wait to see how it's all going to turn out when God's kingdom fully comes in this world. So praying your kingdom come means to affirm what Jesus meant by the word kingdom. And then secondly, praying your kingdom come means to accept the rule of God in our personal lives. Thy kingdom come, but not yet, is the title of a book written by Margaret Slattery. She talked about in that book how so many people are interested in the reign of God, but they don't really want it in their lives. It's a great ideal. So many people are like Constantine. He brought in religion as Christianity as the official religion of the Roman Empire, but it was years before he himself was baptized. Many years. Now the kingdom of God is not centered in groups of nations or organizations of people or in geographical lands. The kingdom of God begins 
in me and with me. The kingdom of God is not, first of all, a theological doctrine, nor is a political agenda. The kingdom of God is when we ask God to, to divinely invade us, divinely invade us in terms of his purposes and his righteousness. A woman was discerning the church, and she said, Revive thy church, beginning with me. That would be an appropriate paraphrase if we were talking about the kingdom. Send thy kingdom, beginning with me. So when we pray this petition, your kingdom come, we are really asking God to lead us to repentance. You see, when Jesus first came and announced his kingdom, he called people to repent. He said, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent of your sins. In Greek, the word repentance means metanoia. It means to change your mind. It means to turn in another direction, to move in a new direction. You know, it's interesting that this fellow, this scholar named A.M. Hunter, he was a New Testament scholar, said in the New Testament, the kingdom is deduced in these ways. First, the kingdom belongs to the king. It's God's kingdom. Second, the rule of God involves a new people of God, the church. Third, the kingdom of God requires a new style of living. Our salvation is wrapped up in the ethics of grace. Four, the kingdom is centered in Christ. And five, the kingdom involves a cross. Jonathan Edwards was one of the great preachers that America has seen. He said he went out to preach with two priorities. One was that every person ought to give his or her life to Christ. And second, if nobody did, he was going to give himself to Christ. You know, when I think about my own call to ministry, I remember it came to me as a conviction. It's either Christ or nothing. And I remember after a long four-year struggle of trying to figure out what God wanted me to do, one day I wanted to preach, the next day I didn't, a doctor suggested that I go before the charge conference at the First Methodist Church of LaGrange to tell them why I want to preach. Well, I thought the day before I'd better pray about this. So I started praying, Lord, help me to tell him why I want to preach. Nothing came. I prayed, Lord, help me to tell him why I want to preach. No answer came. I drove 150 miles praying that same prayer. No answer came. I knelt at my bed when I got home. No answer to that prayer came. I went to the meeting. Lord, help me to tell him why I want to preach. I sat out in the meeting. Lord, help me to tell him why I want to preach. Finally, the superintendent called me up. He said, Hal, come on up here and tell us why you want to preach. Well, when I got to the front of the room, the only thing I could think of was a story that a young Baptist preacher had told me, and this is what I shared. This young preacher thought he could do everything. But on this particular occasion, he didn't feel like he could do anything because he had a bad toothache. And on the night before this preaching service, he simply bowed his head and he said, Lord, tonight I can't do it. You've got to do it. Well, I went out. I just got embarrassed. Tears started flowing down my face. I went outside, was sitting there thinking, Hal, you really blew it. And a few minutes, a fellow came out, put his arm around me and said, Hal, they passed you. Well, I got to thinking, what was more honest than that? God used me when I couldn't do a thing. Well, a few weeks later, on the way back to school one morning, I gave my life to Christ and received the kingdom of God. You know, there is a picture on the wall of General William Booth of the Salvation Army. There was a man kneeling before that picture, and he simply said, Lord, do it again. Well, what we're saying is, Lord, do it again and begin it all with me. When we pray your kingdom come, we're not simply praying for the kingdom to come across the world. We're praying that the kingdom would come in our own hearts. And then one other thing equally important, praying thy kingdom come means to march to the beat of a different drummer in the larger society. Listen to this. A South African pastor 
went with E. Stanley Jones many places across his own nation. He said to him one day, you preach a troublesome gospel. We preach a kingdom in heaven hereafter that doesn't bother anybody. But you preach a kingdom now on earth, and that upsets everything. Before we pray, your kingdom come, we better stop and ask, what's going to happen if the kingdom does come? Are we prepared for God's kingdom to come across the world? Are we prepared for God's kingdom to come into our own hearts? There was a pastor named Strom, who was an astute pastor in Florida. He wrote a book about the Lord's Prayer. And in that book, he talked about the radical changes that would happen when the kingdom of God comes. I think it would be appropriate if we just hear a few of these, these radical changes when the kingdom comes. When the kingdom of God, God comes, it will affect how we make and spend our money. In other words, we will recognize other people's needs and we will want to give to those needs more than we ever have before. Jesus said in Matthew 25, he was talking about people in the kingdom. He said, Inasmuch as ye have done it unto one of the least of these, my brethren, ye have done it unto me. So when the kingdom comes, it will help us to make new decisions about our money. And then when the kingdom comes, it will make us want to go out and correct the wrongs we have done to other people. There was a husband and wife sitting on this sofa, and they got into an argument. And the husband said to his wife, you're impossible. And she said, no, dear, I'm next to impossible. Well, whatever. When the kingdom comes, we'll want to go out and correct the wrongs that we have done for other people. And then when the kingdom comes, we'll want to come to grips with our power. Jesus' greatest temptation was how he would use his power. You remember, he never used his power for himself. And when we use our own advantages to lord it over other people, we make a mistake. When the church seeks to put itself at the center of its own mission, it makes a terrible mistake. And then fourthly, when the kingdom comes, we'll march to the tune or the beat of a different drummer. We'll be out of step with the ways and the purposes of the world. As a matter of fact, someone said, if we really will understand this new beat, we'll simply have to be familiar with Jesus' Sermon on the Mount because he said the beat would be new for those who are humble, those who are meek, those who are persecuted for righteousness, those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, those who are pure in heart, those who are peacemakers. This is what it means to mark to the beat of a different drama. You know, Robert Louis Stevenson had a diary, and he wrote in that diary of things that happened to him as a boy. You know, he was a sickly boy, and one night he was sitting at the window looking out at the dark, watching the lamplighter light the lamps on the street below. About that time, his nurse came in and said, what are you doing? He said, I'm sitting here watching this man make holes in the darkness. Let me tell you something, that's not a bad description of those of us who are seeking to live in the kingdom. One who seeks to make holes in the darkness. Now, our God is a great, magnificent God. And our God wants us to ask great, marvelous things of him. Beloved, we'll ask for no greater thing than when we ask for the kingdom of God. Let your kingdom come right here, right now, in me. Let us pray. Lord, we're grateful for your kingdom. We're thankful for the hope we have that lives within us. We're grateful, O oh God, that your hand is on the helm. You know everything that's happening. You're very much involved in all of these things. And we can trust in you and allow you to live in and through us. Forgive us of our sins. Help us, O oh God, to live anew for you in every way. And truly, May your kingdom come in and through us. It's in your name. Amen.
Thank you very much for joining us for this service tonight. I trust that you have been blessed. I pray you have, and I pray you'll call a friend and invite that friend to join us next week. Thank you for standing with us in prayer and financial support. Have a good evening. Good night. Thank you for listening to Dr. Hal Brady, whose television broadcast is seen weekly in Atlanta on the Atlanta Interfaith Broadcasters Network. Dr. Brady's sermons are also available online, and ministry updates are posted on Facebook. With your help, we are able to share the gospel online and on the air, so please consider a donation to Hal Brady Ministries. Donations can be mailed to Hal Brady Ministries, Inc., Post Office Box 1367, Decatur, Georgia, 30031, or you can give securely online at HalBradyMinistries.com. We are grateful for your prayers and support and hope you'll continue to partner with us 
If you have any prayer requests, please be in touch. Thank you.